0: Luke chapter 12 is our passage for this morning. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. It's found on page 1035 of your Pew Bible. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Grass withers and the flower fades; The word of our God stands forever. So this is our second week in this passage from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take this week and then next week as well, uh, just kind of digging in a little bit on what Jesus is teaching on. Last week, we focused in on verses 22 through 30 with the idea of Jesus uh the antidote for anxiety was was our consideration, considering the birds and the blooms. Considering the futility of our worry, considering our smallness, and considering the fatherhood of God. That was kind of last week. Considering, thinking about big realities, the birds and the blooms, how small and insignificant I and mean, how insufficient we really are. And our adoption into the family of God. And all of that flowed, like I said, from verses 22 through 30. But this morning we're going to focus in specifically on verses... Um, Oops, I turned wrong pages. On verses 29 through uh, 31. And those will be the few verses we're really going to try to dig into. And those, again, just to read them to you. Verse 29 says this. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead... Seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So, as we get started, just a few obvious things that I think shouldn't go unspoken this morning. We get into a text like this, and, and addressing a serious issue in life that I think we all, at one level, experience is. Uh, there's a few things we should that should not go unspoken. Uh, Jesus is addressing anxiety. He's addressing real problems, the anxiety of his followers. He's not pretending that anxiety isn't real or that anxiety um, shouldn't be happening to the disciples. There's an argument that could be made that the very reason why Jesus is addressing anxiety in his disciples is because he's aware that as his disciples go through life, there's going to be moments that we're going to have things come up that we're going to be anxious about. So it isn't some sort of, um, you know, some beating uh, people up because they have anxiety. Jesus isn't isn't saying, how dare you be anxious? That's ridiculous. He's he's addressing that reality that there will be seasons in a disciple's life where they'll worry. And they'll have things come up that will, will worry them. But Jesus just heads straight into this and deals with, ...this issue of anxiety. He does this as well in Matthew chapter 6. If you wanted to read a a parallel teaching... ...he's taught on this more than one occasion. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, 19 through 34... ...is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus speaks in basically these same categories... ...though in a little different order. But just showing that he, multiple times at least... uh, ...preaches on this issue of anxiety... We don't have time to get into the Matthew six passage this morning, though. But Jesus is admitting anxiety is real, so there's no guilt associated with someone being worried about the future. It seems to be a reality that Jesus is knowing is going to come to his disciples. So that's the first. But secondly, the thing that doesn't need to, that needs to go needs not go unspoken is that Jesus combats real anxieties with real realities. He, he's not trying to, like some sort of a, a new age guru, um, talk you that, that anxieties and worries aren't real, like some sort of meditation. We're going to sit in a corner and just have silence and, and speak a tone or whatever to empty ourselves That that anxieties and worries aren't real, like some sort of new age person. That's not... The angle that Jesus takes, and he also doesn't take the angle of some sort of uh, pay-to-hear motivational speaker about how uh, how amazing you are, that the problems you think are out there aren't really that big. You're you're way stronger, and how to rise up and go get them. He doesn't. That's not how he addresses anxieties. He takes on the reality of anxieties by lifting up bigger realities than any anxiety is. Jesus is going to confront troubling realities, troubling anxieties, troubling worries that are on our horizon for everyone, he's going, to, he's going to combat them with even greater realities. Okay, So this isn't about trying to talk ourselves out of anxieties, pretend like they don't exist, or somehow pump ourselves up, that we're amazing and way better than anything, problem that could come our way. Goodness, sometimes problems are bigger than you are. <laughs> Some problems you can't fix some problems are more distressing no matter how much you build yourself up with build yourself up you're not going to be able to overcome them he's trying to get us to do like what psalm 121 says psalm 121 says i lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth The psalmist is going to, in the midst of troubles, where is he going to set his his eyes? Upon the hill, upon the the place where God is, the one who made heaven and earth. And he's going to combat his fears with bigger realities. So what is the big reality that Jesus puts forward this morning? And if you still have your Bible out, I want you to just kind of look. There's, There's something in here that when you read through it, it kind of... Like, what is Jesus talking about? We've got in verse 29 of chapter 12, he says, Don't seek what you're to eat and what you are to drink, nor worry. So he's got this laid out. Don't, don't, don't worry about and don't seek what you're going to eat or seek what you're going to drink or be worried. And the reason why, verse 30, is because or for, because all the nations of the world seek after those things. All the nations of the world, and by that he doesn't mean uh, the geopolitical nations. He's talking about people groups. All the, all the people groups of all the world that, that are of the world, they're not God's people. They're, they're people of the world. All these nations, all these peoples of the world seek after these things. What to eat, what to drink, and, and therefore they have the worries. They seek after these things. So don't, don't worry about them. The nations of the world seeks them. And God the Father, the, the one who is the, the, the father of, of, these, of his nations, he knows that they need these things. So don't worry about food and drink and food and fashion, appearances and appetites. But instead, seek the kingdom. And it's, you read that and you think, wait a second. How are these, how are these two things even on the scale together? Don't seek what you should eat or what you should drink or be worried, but instead seek the kingdom. How is kingdom, on this hand, seeking God's kingdom, any sort of a counterbalance to seeking what you are to eat or what you are to drink? There's just, how do we put these things together? There must be. There must be something about this searching that is different than what we normally think of searching. Jesus certainly isn't saying, don't go to the grocery store, right? I mean, that would be the most literal translation. Do not seek what you're to eat or what you are to drink. So don't you dare leave this place and go to the grocery store to pick up something. Don't go to Casey's and walk back to the pizza bin because that's seeking what you're to eat and what you are to drink. That's not what he's talking about, right? There's something behind. it. It's certainly okay to um, go to the grocery store. Right? It's certainly okay to buy clothes and put them on. Thank you for doing so this morning. It's okay to seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, and what you are to wear. It's pretty necessary uh, in our world today. But there's something about this seeking, there's something about this seeking. What kind of searching is it that puts foods and fashions, appearances and appetites over here and God's kingdom over here? And I think the answer is this: different desires, different desires come from different objectives. If you desire whatever your objective is, your big-term goal, your long-range motive, whatever that desire is. Will, whatever your objective is, will affect all these desires. If you, if you have some big range goal, it will affect the desires that you have at a very basic level. So the question that comes to us is then what kind of kingdom are you looking for when you are totally concerned with appetites and appearances with foods and fashions with what you'll eat what you'll drink and you're worried about these things what kingdom are you searching for you are serving you are doing and you are working so hard with those desires because your obje- your objective is your own kingdom not God's When you're consumed with foods and fashions, appearances and appetites, the reason why these desires are concerning you in an unhealthy way and causing you to worry is because when you're seeking these things, your eyes are on your own kingdom. Your eyes are on what you want and what you will and what you want to have happen in your life. On this side, Jesus is saying, seek God's kingdom. They're both kingdom searches. One, he's just kind of spelling out the um, desires of the bigger objective. And here he's just saying the objective. Does that, when we're searching for these things, this what to eat, what to drink, what to wear, we are serving our own kingdom. Are you seeking to build your own kingdom or to live rightly in God's kingdom? Which kingdom are you about? Do your desires look any different than the desires of the world. If, if you were to put your life next to an unbeliever's life, do your desires look any different? Do you long for food, clothing, shelter, good times, friends, family, all these things in exactly the same way as an unbeliever does? Do your desires look any different? And I would challenge, do your worries look the same? Do your worries look the same as an unbeliever? I worry that I lose my job. I worry that... Health, I worry um, friendships, I worry family, I worry about my next meal, I worry about all these things. If your worries look the same, you have to ask the question Am I really living for a different kingdom? Or are, am I searching for the same kingdom that an unbeliever is? We're all worried about the same things, we're all concerned about the same things because we're all pursuing the same thing, which is really our own kingdom. This is the language that Jesus is trying to get at in seeking God's kingdom. If your desires are no different than the world's desires, and consequently your worries are no different than the world's worries, it's likely because you both are seeking the same objective, building and securing your own kingdom, not God's. That's where your concern is at, building your own kingdom. Now, we can disguise this very well. And it's very easy to disguise this and say, I love Jesus, and I love God, and I'm all about Jesus, I'm all about God. And many people who are building their own kingdoms love God and love Jesus for this reason. They love what they think Jesus, God, can help them achieve for their own kingdom that there's a weird way you can, or, you can orient Christianity or the Christian principles or the idea of the gospel and who God is and who Jesus is. There's a way to, or, to orchestrate this such that you see God and Jesus as really a tool to help build your kingdom. And that is Christianity upside down. That is using God to seek your own kingdom instead of seeking God's kingdom. That is the huge difference. That is seeking for all of these things over here and including God, doing Him the favor, hey, I'll let you help me get what I want. Building my own kingdom. Building my own kingdom. The radical idea of Christianity is not that we're just trusting Christ uh, for a certain conversion of a certain area. Jesus is going to take care of my afterlife or Jesus is going to take care of these certain issues in my life. Christianity is, is the conversion of a whole person out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It is a conversion not just of a certain area. You don't just add, now I check Christian on the survey on what my religious affiliation is. It is a conversion of a whole person into a different kingdom. They abandon their kingdom. They're not concerned with what they eat, what they'll drink, what they'll wear. They're consumed with building their own kingdom. But instead, coming to Christ, faith in Christ, is conversion to his kingdom, to him as king, to him as Lord. Colossians says it like this, chapter 1, the book of Colossians, this is verses 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That's this one over here that we're born into. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins belief in the gospel the work of Christ and all that he has done repenting and turning to Christ and turning from sin turning to Christ doesn't just give us a get out of hell free card that's that's not it does i mean and that's and that's a glorious reality to be saved from hell but it is taking us from this world of the dead, the kingdom of darkness, and assigning us into the kingdom of the the monarchy of Jesus Christ as king over all of reality. Makes these words uh, from Paul in Philippians chapter 3. So we got the Colossians passage. Here's the Philippians passage, chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, says this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears... Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He's talking about his opposers, Paul is. Continue with the passage. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's describing these people. Does that sound like Jesus saying, don't worry about what you eat, what you are to drink, appetites and appearances? Paul says it this way. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their God is their appetites carrying on about Christians, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. We don't belong to this world. We don't belong to our own kingdoms even. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. We belong to him. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Every morning when we pray the Lord's Prayer, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You say it every week. I tricked you. You, this This is your prayer every Sunday morning that you show up. It's not my kingdom come. That's a blasphemous prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Conversion to Christianity is not just... moral reform in a few areas it is conversion to a different kingdom it's conversion to a different kingdom thy kingdom come thy will be done so then what does it mean practically to to seek god's kingdom And what way in what way can his kingdom be here anyway and, and kingdom language is it's a fun, we don't have time this morning to really go into all of the things that are involved in the, the past kingdom, the present kingdom, the future kingdom of God. We could talk about the already not yet, but I'm already boring you with that. It's just, we could go to lots of conversation about the kingdom of God. But in a very basic way, the kingdom of God is the sphere where God rules and God reigns. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it is the sphere of influence where God rules and God's reigns. It is it's it's God's kingdom because God is king. That is what it means. When we're seeking God's kingdom, therefore, it is to seek God's will be done. It is to seek God's way of doing, it is to seek God's desires. When you're seeking the kingdom, if the kingdom is where God's rule and reign is exercised, then when you seek his kingdom, That means in your life, what you're seeking is that God's will be done, which means not my own, thy will be done, thy will be done, not my will be done. God's kingdom is where God is in charge. So if God's kingdom is where his rule and reign exists, then to seek his kingdom is to seek God's rule and reign over every area of your life. Okay? It is to do everything in light of the great goal that God's will would be done and that God would be glorified. This has huge, so this has huge implications. This is why I was saying, again, the passage to try, is about anxiety. It's about worry. And we've got all these things in our horizon that worry us. And the way that Jesus is going to fight anxiety is not by focusing in on the little tiny anxieties and just thinking about them more and more and more and more and more or try to forget them or any of those things. He's going to say, Look at the big picture. Here's the big reality. Here's the big reality. And look to this kingdom. Don't search for all of these little tiny answers. What you eat, what you drink, what you should wear. where All these little things you're consumed with. He's saying, seek the kingdom. May God's will be done. May God's way be, be done, be performed in his kingdom. So this has huge implications. What it means... For us to seek his kingdoms, it, kingdom, it means that your desires and your wants are not first place. This is, this is a monarchy. I know that it, this is, we love, we love our country. We love uh, the uh, representative republic that we have, our democracy. We love this, this system. It's a great experiment. But the best, I'm going to say something controversial, and I know we got politicians in here. The best form of government is a monarchy with a perfect king. We don't have, there's no perfect kings except for one. The reason why monarchies aren't don't do well in our fallen world, every king is a fallen king. But what if the king is perfect? What if the king doesn't get anything wrong? What if the king has all power to do everything exactly right for all of his subjects? That's a monarchy you want to be involved in. And that is the kingdom of God with a perfect king. So, with, with, with that reality, I got off track there. Our desires then are not first place. What you want and what you desire is not first place. You ever think about how difficult Christianity really is? It, it, Philippians chapter 2 commands us that we do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but to in humility count others more significant than yourself that's impossible (laughs) i mean to count others more significant than myself that means if if two of us are starving here and and there's one meal i push it towards you and let myself perish the count others more significant than myself that when two contrary opinions come up over some issue i say you know what I'm backseating. You, 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 you take the lead. To count others more significant than yourself is, just, is such a difficult concept in Christianity because it's counter to our very own nature. How am I to consider others more significant than myself? One thing is certain. If you're all concerned with building your own kingdom, having your own way, having your own desires, you can never consider someone more significant than yourself because the world revolves around you. Everything feeds my desires. Everything feeds my wishes. Everything's got to go my way because I'm building my kingdom. And so therefore, if you get in my way, you're not more significant than me. I'm most significant. And Christianity converts you, like I said, to a different kingdom where you're not the king but God is. And so therefore, you're, you're able to push others forward because the main goal in life is not me. The main goal in life is not my wishes and my desires. The main goal is that God is glorified and that we all are caught up in the joy of him being glorified. So to seek his kingdom is to place God's desires first so that if you do not get your way in every area, life doesn't explode because it's not about you. You are not the chief citizen in your kingdom. You are a glad citizen in the eternally secure kingdom of the almighty God of the universe. So, another application, another clear implication from living with God as king is that your true, not only do your desires and your wants take a back seat, but your true needs come into focus. What I need most, if I'm living in this kingdom where God is king, what I need most is to be glad in the king who will rule forever. What I need more than anything is to be glad in this king who will rule forever. What I need most is to make him look as truly glorious as he is and that in my glorifying of him, my gladness increases because I am ascribing beauty to that which is most beautiful. I'm caught up. ...in this one who is glorious, this one who is beautiful. And so as my life becomes not about my way... ...but about God being made glorious, I'm caught up into that glory. My joy increases as God is more glorified in my life. All of my needs fall into line behind this one great need... ...to be glad in God's kingdom, to be glad in God's kingdom. And so long as that one need is met that I am in my father's kingdom, that I am in my king's kingdom, that I am in good state, that my citizenship is in heaven. If that one need is secure, all these needs begin to take back seats to the glory of this one reality. I'm a citizen of the kingdom. And so my search is no longer for myself and my own kingdom. My search is that this kingdom be made to look as glorious as it truly is. So your desires and your needs fade away. Your true needs become more focused that I would be, have good standing in this kingdom and rejoice in it. And lastly, your fears and anxieties fade because life is not chiefly about you. This is how Jesus is attacking anxiety, seeking his kingdom, God's kingdom, not my own. And when you're busy building your own kingdom, every little detail becomes overwhelming. Every, every little detail that doesn't go exactly... I, I needed this one thing to go exactly this way so that my kingdom could go forward. And when that one little thing fails... The whole plan, I have to scrap plan A, I'm on to plan B, then I'm on to plan C, and now, then we have to invent, I'm on plan AA, plan BB, plan C. We have to invent whole new categories because our plans keep failing and failing and failing with every little cataclysmic detail. But not only that, the things that go wrong, if you're trying to build your own kingdom, every little possible thing that could go wrong becomes paralyzing. I'm trying to build my kingdom. And so, if this goes wrong, or this happens, or this happens, or the count, the options are endless of all the things that could go wrong. And so, you're constantly worried because you're searching to build your own kingdom. No matter if they're just potentialities, if there is a potential destroyer to your kingdom, you must worry and you must work to fight against it. And why do you have to do that? Your kingdom is flimsy. <laughs> your kingdom is a joke. My kingdom if da- the kingdom of da- where Darren Dolichick is king, don't go there. <laughs> I mean it's a, it's a worthless kingdom. It's ghetto. It's it's not it's, it's it's trash. This kingdom is not worth saving. This kingdom of of your own building is not worth working so hard for. But when it comes to God's kingdom that you can live in, you can be assured things won't go astray for a second. If I'm building my kingdom, I'm always worried. If I'm building my life, if, if, if life revolves around me, I'm always concerned this thing's happening, this, this diagnosis, this kid, this job, this money, this whatever, this debt, this all, I'm I, everything building my kingdom. Because everything, because it's all upside down. But if I'm in this kingdom, this kingdom doesn't get shaken. God's kingdom. God's kingdom doesn't move. God isn't sitting on the throne feverishly wringing his hands about what's next. This is the kingdom you want to live in. It's the kingdom I want to live in. I want to live in the kingdom of the king who rules everything. And when you live in that kingdom, yeah, the worries come up. And, and you, you, you address them for what they are, sinful worries about trying to build your own kingdom. And, and God, Jesus addresses the reality. These anxieties do come up. But what do you do? You remember, I don't live in my kingdom. I live in Christ's kingdom. This kingdom will not be shaken. I'm secure here with him. God caring for you does not mean you will always get your way. The Gentiles, the nations, they rage and they seek after all of these things, their appetites and their appearances. They seek after the building of their kingdoms. But we're told, don't seek that. Don't seek that. Seek his kingdom. William Henderson says in his commentary, it would be difficult to exaggerate the significance of the passage before us. What Jesus is saying is that believers must differ in their inner yearnings, must set their hearts on different things, must be controlled by different ideals, and must be motivated by a different love than the nations out there. Do you want to transfer your citizenship to this king's country? This is where I want to live. I want to live in this god's kingdom. and to do that, you have to abandon your own kingdom building. You have to abandon it. It's sin. It's sin to say, I don't want the king's kingdom. I want to build Darren's kingdom. I want to build my kingdom. I want my will to be done. It is rebellion against the one true king. You're building a kingdom in opposition to the one true king who is Lord over all. Your kingdom will not stand. His kingdom will stand forever. Good news. False kingdom builders, which is all of us in some degree. False kingdom builders can be forgiven. False kingdom builders can look upon the cross where Christ was crushed for the wrath that false kingdom builders deserve. (laughs) All this work of trying to perform my will and rebellion against God poured poured out upon Christ on the cross. Jesus shows up. He lives for God's kingdom 100% perfect. And what sinners this morning can hear, false kingdom builders this morning can hear, you repent, confess, I am this false kingdom builder. God, forgive me Christ, save me. His perfect keeping of the law is given to you and your wrath imputed, given to him so that you can be forgiven and welcomed into this kingdom where really you want to live. This was done this morning, so that this morning, false, this, this work on the cross was done so that false kingdom builders could repent, turn from self-salvation projects, turn to Christ, and be forgiven and given new citizenship in the kingdom of the one true king. When we go to communion this morning, it's done in celebration and remembrance of this great work that was done for us, a sacrifice that was given to welcome rebels into the eternal kingdom of God. Don't turn from this hope this morning. Consider, consider, consider. Consider your citizenship, the birds and the blooms, the your own insufficiency, all of these things. Consider them and and consider your citizenship in heaven. The security of being in this great king's kingdom and rejoice in it this morning. Let's pray. Father, Help us this morning, we desire to turn from our own kingdom building as one who worries myself, God. I pray you would give us eyes to see the bigger reality, give us eyes to see the hope that is found in you, the security that is found in your kingdom. As we come to the communion table, God, in repentance over building our own kingdom, God, we pray that your forgiveness would be real and that we would have eyes to see the great reality of what it means to be secure in the king's great kingdom. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.